Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Potomaro in game, and Hats on Lamps. So how's it going this week, Hats? I'm okay. I'm okay. I played a lot of Eternal, uh, maybe more than I should have, so I have mixed feelings about, <laughs> about the game and the new draft format, but uh, I'm basically doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Right, right. Uh, so it's episode 63, so for those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. So this week, um, we're going to talk about this new draft format. So our last episode um, was two weeks ago, where during the preview format, and so we talked about some of the new mechanics and new cards, but since then, all the cards have released. Hats and I have had a week plus to play the new format, get familiar with it, and so we're here to kind of tell you our feelings on the new format and what's been working with us, what hasn't, and sort of our just general thoughts about how it's going. And then we'll end with Hats' favorite time of year, time of the new set, which is we'll be comparing our draft ratings. And just like last time, what we did is we used Jed the Homrids, uh 1 through 10 scale. We rated all the commons and uncommons, and we'll talk about every card that Hats and I differed by two or more with. Um, so that was a lot of fun in the last set when we did that, so we thought we'd run it back, and I just like to make Hats rate cards, it turns out. Boy, do I like breaking cards. Boy, nothing more fun than assigning a numerical value to a card. It's the best thing that I can imagine. Yay! Yeah, exactly. So I, hopefully by the end of this episode, everyone will be set up for success going forward this next week, <laughs> drafting uh, this new format. Set 9 or Argent Depths? That's what we're called? It's called Argent Depths. It's called Depths, Argent right? Depths, yes. Yep. Someone mentioned we should say the name more often. I'm going to try to do that. Argent Depths. Yeah. Argent, uh, Argent Depths. All right. So let's get into it. So how was your draft week? Well, I've struggled a lot this week. Uh, I think I managed to post a couple of seven-win drafts in the, in, the, in the Discord. But most of my drafts have been, I don't know, they've, they've, I've... They've just been, they've just been bad in various ways. Um, I'm I'm having a difficult time. Um, I'm having a difficult time figuring out. Uh, like some there's there's a lot of draft archetypes that seem fruitful, um, but uh, I don't know if I if I can. I don't know what actually makes them good, if that makes any sense. Like if I'm, uh, like there's a, the there's a there's a sort of a sacrificey, uh, um, Argentport deck where you can build up big uh, relic weapons, and I think that that's a draftable thing. But I don't know how often, and I don't know what the cards, how where, where how I should prioritize the cards. To get that, do I need to? Do I need the things that need to be sacrificed? Do I need the things that sacrifice them? How likely is it that the draft packs are going to set me up for that? I don't know. Um, it's not the best example either of the of that archetype. 
Um, anyway, I've had I've I've had fun in certain aspects of this format, but I'm having more trouble than usual figuring out uh, an, a comfortable approach. And when I try doing the things that people are beating me with, such as like mono fire or mono justice, it is a complete fail. I've drafted mono justice a couple of times. It seems like nothing. Uh, that it seems like it's not an advantage to do that for me at all. Uh, uh, the same thing with Mono Fire, but people are certainly doing it and destroying me with that deck, and it's hard for me to tell why that's happening. Um, I'm getting beaten by things that don't make any sense to me, like people who are playing very aggressive cards and very controlly cards in the same deck, which you'd think would give them a disadvantage, but not against whatever I'm doing. So either I'm getting a lot worse at the game, or this is a, just a longer-than-usual experimental period, or uh, or, or this is going to be a tough format for me the whole time. <laughs> But it's uh, four months. <laughs> it's going to be a tough four months. That's I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, <laughs> or or maybe just my approach to draft doesn't mesh very well with this format because this it is different than other formats in a lot of ways. Um, so we'll see. Uh, it's certainly I've I've won, but it feels like I've won with decks that have like some serious bombs in them. And if I don't have those, then it's really tricky. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you mention that because I've only done, um, I've done, I'm partway through my fifth draft right now. And two of my decks have been monocolored. I had a mono fire, I had a mono justice. And one of my drafts was a train wreck time justice primal deck. And I'm like 90% sure there was like a mono fire deck uh-huh. <laughs> that I could have drafted. And it's pretty amazing that I managed to draft three colors <laughs> that were none of them were fire. Um, <laughs> and so I've had a lot of luck and really um sort of enjoyed and felt sort of the power of those monocolor decks. And it's kind of felt like what I've wanted to be doing. And I don't know if that's like sort of, if that's just because it's like drafting on easy mode in a sense, not in the sense that it's very easy for you to get cut out. So like it can very easily be a train wreck, but we were kind of talking about this um before we started recording but like so many of these cards require like these weird influence requirements or just like require the specific archetype that it's really hard to evaluate these cards and it feels like there's so many cards you can take and then get punished for having taken because they're just like useless in the deck you end up with but like when you're just like taking all the fire cards or all the justice cards it's a lot harder for that to happen to you unless it's totally cut. Sure. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I just don't like ending up with a deck. Like, let's say I, I've, tr- I've tried to draft Mono Time a couple of times because it seemed like the thing to do. And mm-hmm. uh, and it, I end up having to play a lot of cards that I wouldn't normally want to play because that's what's available. And once I've started on that path, it's really difficult to do any more than, like, put a moderate splash in because I, I need to be able to play my disappears. Um, and 
so it really feels it really feels like I'm just sort of letting fate decide how my draft comes out if I if I if I take any of the any of the cards that sort of need you to play a lot of um, a particular color a uh, particular faction of influence. Yeah, we've gotten like one mono time deck in the spreadsheet so far, but I'm not totally convinced like mono time is where you want to be because I feel like mono time has a lot of finicky units as compared to fire and justice, which is what I'm more thinking of as the mono, like the more obvious monocolor decks. It's just like fire has so many good early units and so many like pretty good aggressive units that it's sort of, you can make up with sort of a lack of unit quality by just having like, by killing your opponent quickly. Um, yeah, that does make sense in fire. Um, and then with justice, be, because uh, Smogwing Tinker is just like such a good top end, you know, like, and they have just like fine enough units. I, I don't, you're like not as punished for going in mono justice, I feel like. There's just like enough good justice units, and then like that weapon is pretty good and it helps with being mono justice. Uh, the one three that gives you a justice and that helps sustain like it's like a self-contained with justice's theme of surge you know what i mean it's like you don't need to branch out to like i know i know all of those all of those cards go together i just haven't been able to make it work for myself Um, yeah i've i've drafted all the cards that you would think would go into a deck like that but then uh, that doesn't translate into me winning games. It just is then I play some cards and my opponent plays cards and their cards are better than mine. Hmm. Um, I know theoretically it's not supposed to work that way, but it is how it has been working. So, yeah, so my experience has been a little different. But but yeah, it's been a pretty interesting draft format so far. So on to thanking our patrons, uh, which you can find at patreon.com slash farmingeternal. For as little as a dollar a month, you can gain access to our show notes and uh, sometimes recording bloopers, as well as nudge us towards our any goals we might have. Um, I'm not sure how what goals we have right now in life, but if we are to have goals, you would help us nudge them. You would nudge us towards them. But we do like to thank all our patrons. So thank you to Stephen R, Mercurio Blue, Abinego, Meagles, Madness, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Darth Herman Two, Twin Hex. Cassandrith, Jed the Homerit, Raven Dragon, Esrich0215, Sunblaze Worked on Sun, and Yistow. So, card of the week. What's your card of the week, Sweet Cats? I chose Omen Scarworm as my card of the week. Uh, Omen Scarworm is a time unit. It's a worm. It costs 8 and 4 time influence. It's an 8-8, and it says Surge, draw a card. So every time you gain an influence... Um, in any faction, you draw a card. Uh, I chose this because I don't think the whole time I've been drafting Eternal, there's been a more definitive kind of top end as a common or an uncommon. Uh, this is an uncommon, so you'll see it fairly often, especially with uh, in basically, I think you pretty much play this in most time decks because time decks tend to be a little slower um, and are relatively likely to get to this. Um, 
uh, it's real hard to win if your opponent plays an Omen Scar Worm and draws at least one card off of it, because you've got to deal with the 8-8, and then if you can't immediately silence or kill it, um, then you get buried by the card advantage. And uh, it's an 8-drop, but it really deserves to be an 8-drop. <laughs> like, this is about how powerful you want your 8-drop to be. And I don't think I've ever seen before a common or an uncommon that just said, this is the end of the game. This is what this is what I'm going for more effectively than Omen Scar Worm. There's been cards like uh, oh what was what was the scourge of, of everyone's life uh, several sets ago, the, the fire thing that gave double damage and overwhelm. Um, oh um Heretic's Cannon. Yeah, Heretic's Cannon. There's been there's been cards like that that do end the game. Um but I would say that those end the game in a way that felt like it broke the format a little bit. Uh, so it was sort of it felt illegitimate in a way. Whereas Omen Scar Worm feels like a legitimate thing to be ramping to, um, or to be playing the long game for. And it feels right to me that time would have a card like this. Like you've got all of these ramp, all of this ramp business. Uh, you've got your battery mages, which is a five cost unit that ramps you why would you be ramping once you've already gotten to five well omen scar worm that's why uh it feels well placed and i like the design of the card man speaking of rampant five cost ramping things what is with that weapon what the, the uh, justice weapon one? that plays random sigils for every time yeah that's that's if you need to ramp once you've already reached six <laughs> <laughs> and i had it in a seven win deck um, because my because the deck also had the new Makto, uh, Makto Valorous Savior, which uh, it, it literally says on it, you can't lose. <laughs> and I felt like, you know what? That costs eight. Uh, let me just describe the card. It Eight, justice, justice. It's a 5-5 five, five with flying and revenge. All revenge never ends. Prevent all damage that would reduce you below one health. I felt like it was worth trying to 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 get that down every game I possibly could. So I played the six cost ramp weapon in my Combre deck so that I could play Mokto on the next turn. It was an effective thing to do. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, I see. I can. I guess I can see that one usage. Yeah, if you've got a Mokto, take a look at that six cost three three relic weapon that ramps you. <laughs> but also, if you have Omen Scar Worm, I think those are the two main reasons you would do it. Yeah, because because if you if you haven't yet cast your Omen Scar Worm, then the weapon will get you to the point where you can. And if you already do have an Omen Scar Worm, then the weapon draws you a card. Two cards because you definitely have time, 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 time. That's that's true. It draws you two cards. They're best friends. Those two uncommons. Yeah. Yeah, hey, this Omen Scar Worm is a sweet card. I've it been That's great. trying to put it in every time time deck. Um, the four time is difficult if you're not really committed to time. Um, so it is a little committing in that respect. Sure. But, but what a sweet card. And I feel like people aren't appreciating it, because I do see these kind of late sometimes, which is a little surprising to me. 
I see a lot of different cards late, though. Cards that I think everyone can agree are awesome. And I think that's a side effect of the way the format is, where people are sort of mono-faction, or they end up with one main faction, and they don't want to get into another faction once they've sort of committed in their minds to that. And that means that a lot of good cards in other factions might just get passed through the entire pack. Yeah, but like that happens more often than 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 usual. Yeah, I guess. But there's only five colors, so if like the five people behind, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, I don't. It doesn't happen like with every pack, but I see it happen. I feel like it happens more often than usual. Yeah, Um, like it'll be. You'll see like. I don't know. You'll see really good primal like uncommons and rares very late because no one wanted to get into primal. And I guess that happens to some degree in every draft format that has bad <laughs> primal comments. But even more so here, like you shouldn't be like seeing a sky serpent, which is a three three for with flying for two, like last pick. But I've seen that. Yeah. All right. So my card of the week is Beseech the Throne, which is the Two-cost colorless spell that says draw a card, then plunder. Yeah. So I don't get this card at all. Uh And, like, there are a lot of smart, really good players that really like this card. Yeah, I also don't get it. Um, I've, I've tried... I got three Beseech the Thrones in one deck and it was a spells matters kind of a deck and so it was like this is the one this is the this is the deck where this beseech the throne is really going to be good and i i always felt like i was doing nothing on the turn where i cast beseech <laughs> just nothing at all just spending two power to do nothing draw another I'll, I'll guess i'll see the next card in my deck and then i guess i'll plunder although that's uh i'm not doing anything on the board when i do that so it really felt like I'm just... It, it feels more like I'm spinning my wheels than than anything. I can imagine that it's a good card in Constructed. Um, I don't know exactly what the purpose would be, but if you... Um, like, if you've got some sort of complicated influence that you need to do, then Plunder is really good for that. And But, yeah, I don't get it. Uh, it really felt like a weak card in my deck. So, uh, I, I guess... But I've also heard the same thing from good players that Beseech is really good. So I'm I'm not sure, not sure. I don't get it either. I know. I mean, um, Sunnyvale just had their um, sort of draft roundup where they had Kalebovich and um, and Cassandrathon, and all three of them were talking about how great Beseech the Throne was and how it made all your decks more playable because you're more likely to get the influence you need because this is plunder and it replaces your so it's just like a seek power but i like i i don't i don't get it because i mean they're probably right because i i am struggling with the format maybe one of the things i'm having trouble with is that i'm undervaluing plunder but uh, like at least Beseech the Throne draws a card instead of doing something like add a one one to the board, which is probably worse than just replacing the card in your hand. Um, yeah, so but that... in that sense, sure. Yeah, but isn't that doesn't that one one cost one? Yeah, it does. Beseech is more expensive than the than a lot of the plunder cards. Uh, it just you know. 
like it still it takes up a slot in your deck and then all then all you get for that is a one one um so uh, at least besiege the throne never gets it digs you closer to your better cards um uh, I, I mean, I can. I, it's it's a hard card to evaluate for me, um, as I don't I don't get it. I don't understand what benefit it really has because I don't think that plunder is so powerful that you would you would spend this much power on it. Like, why aren't you just playing something else in your deck? Um, but of course, plunder does. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess pl- like plunder fixes your influence to some degree. I just, uh, but then you don't get to play the card that you've transformed. Um, if you flood, you can you can turn that into you can turn that into draws. So maybe you just keep the besiege the throne in your hand until you can use it for something really specific. But then you're down a card in your hand while you're while you're just waiting to cast the beseech it's essentially a dead card until you have a purpose for it yeah Uh, but maybe that's how you use it i don't know yeah i guess that's sort of the thing is maybe it's the flexibility because like late game it's like a four cost draw to discard one uh yeah basically and then early game it's like a two-cost strategize that always finds you a power. Yeah, more or less. But, like, neither of those cards are, like, super... You know, like, strategize is, like, a fine card. Yeah. And that um, the three-cost draw-two-discard one was totally unplayable. Right. I guess just the fact that it could be either one. Makes us... Better? Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna tr- explore it more. I just wanted to to mention the fact that a lot of people do like this card, but I'm s- still not convinced. I don't know. But yeah, we'll I mean, I'll try. I'll try it again. Um, I, I mean, I'm never unhappy to see someone beseeching on turn two against me because they're taking that. It feels like they're taking that turn off. Yeah, and I guess that's the other thing that's weird to me is, like, there are definitely aggressive decks in this format. And so, like, that feels like it should make Beseech worse because you can get so punished for, like, doing nothing. But I don't know. Yeah, the jury's out on that one for me. Um, I... I, I feel like there's a lot of sort of spinning wheels cards, but I, I know that I know that the people that you're talking about are very good at draft and they're having success in this format. So um, it's uh, they're clearly seeing something in it that I'm not. Yeah. All right. So we'll move on to our seven win run breakdown. This is our longstanding data collection project where we collect seven win drafts um, that people send either farming eternal at gmail.com or post them to our seven win channel in the farming eternal discord is either exported deck lists or any kind of eternal war cry link. And then we compile this into a spreadsheet and we do some and out and then we share sort of our conclusions with our listeners. 
So, and we also like to shout out first John Holio for entering all the lists, as well as all the people who contributed this past week or two weeks in this case. So our new contributors are Big Space Ghost, Mossy the Pirate, Shab, Seymour, and Squidzy Craig. Squids Craig. It's like Blitzkrieg. It's like Blitzkrieg, but squids. Yeah, Squidzkrieg. Um, yeah, I just couldn't figure out how to add the uh, add the Z in there. Squidzkrieg makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then our veteran contributors: Abarash eighteen nineteen, A Boss, Agent Dynamo, Alabazoo, Beard Broken, Blastar, Chamomile Comic, Commander Salamander, Darth Herman two, Disc Golf Dan, Grander, Handyman. Hats on Lamps, Hot Nickel Ball, Induku, Ip Long No, Jed the Hammer, John Holio, Jose Carlos 2121, Cassandra, Mancio 1982, Meagles, Mercurio Blue, Nils H, Out on a Limb, Patamaru, Probably Red, Sakarnin, Sigma Tank, Spiffy Man, Sunblaze, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Vader, Winter Mute, and Yestout. Whew. Thank you, everyone, for sending in those decks. Thank you, everybody. So we've gotten 50-plus um, decks of the new format so far. And so far, we're seeing some interesting trends already. Um, so hats. Let me see yes. if you're in the spreadsheet. You are not, so I can ask you these gotcha questions. So, so uh, what faction do you think has been doing the best so far? Uh, overall, yeah, mm. probably justice overall. Yeah, it is justice. It's actually I just guessed it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, justice and time have been the top two factions, uh -huh. with um, justice being in fifty-five percent of the decks and time being in forty-eight percent of the decks. And what's interesting, and we mention this sort of every time, is um, these these percentages are really related to how many colors people are playing. And so far, this has been decisively a two-color format. Yes. Um, either straight on two colors or a single color with a splash has been the most common um, deck type, which means if all the colors were balanced with a two-color format... Um, everyone would be at 40%. And so the fact that Justice is at 55% uh, means that it is highly overrepresented overrepresented what you would expect a color to be. Um, and so this is balanced out by Primal being in only 9 of the 47 decks, so it, uh, measly 19% of decks mm. have Primal in them so far. Um, and so... So yeah, Justice and Time seem to be doing the best. Fire and Shadow are sort of right in the middle there, and then Primal's doing way, way down there. Um, and the other interesting thing, sort of related to what I just said, with this being a two-color format, you know, a lot of two-color formats usually have two colors, and then maybe you splash a third card, third color, and that's not the case. Like I said, this is people aren't really splashing a third color. They're either splashing a second color or just having two colors. So we've only had three decks so far that attempt to even splash a third color that have had seven wins. 
Well, that makes sense. Uh, anybody that's played the format has seen that um, that the influence requirements for a lot of the cards are are that you need a lot of one type of influence to play them, or uh, having more influence in one faction will make the card more powerful. There's also not very much fixing available. There's not very many cards that that make it any easier to splash an additional faction. So. Uh, you would expect it people to not even try uh, since the tools aren't there for them to do it and you're rewarded for being monofaction so often. Yep. And then the other um, the other thing I wanted to highlight were the three color pairs that were doing the best are uh, Fire Justice, Rakano, Time Justice, Incombrae, and Time Shadow, Xenon. And I kind of wanted to hear your opinion on this because um, Fire Justice makes sense because they're sort of the surge color. They have kind of a synergy going. They're both aggressive colors. So, And Fire is a good monocolor deck and Justice is a good monocolor deck. So the fact that they're doing well together makes sense to me. Um, Xenon also kind of has... Um, you know, that ambush style deck. And we'll, we're going to talk about this later, but I've kind of enjoyed that deck and feel like it seems pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, there's I a agree. lot of cards that support it. There's a lot of good cards that support it. And um, so I've been liking that deck. Time Justice is kind of interesting because I was looking at some of these Time Justice deck lists and it feels like Time Justice is just like good time cards and good justice cards. There's not really like an overall theme for Combray? Or am I missing something, do you think? There doesn't... There's not always a theme, but there is... Uh, I think that uh, Combray gives you the most sort of ramp potential so that you can play a larger top end. And there are some really powerful cards in common uh, at the top end, so it gives you a little bit more control over... Um, it it, get, uh, is, it gives you I don't know it I th I think that that I think that that ramp thing is the main part. Uh, you get you get cards like the Allosaur and Omen Scar Worm and stuff like that up at the top end of time. And if you want to play more of those cards, which are some of time's best commons and uncommons, then you've got to play um, some of the uh, some of the the cards in that help you get there, which are in time and justice you know what i think i may have lost track of what i'm saying here um there <laughs> let's see what is what what actually helps you do that with justice oh right cards like caravan guard which is a three five for three you can play that in combray even though it doesn't attack because it gives you the time that you need um not the time <laughs> faction but the time in real life to play your more expensive cards so there's a lot that sort of goes together um i think uh, you have to sort of forego some of the more aggressive justice cards, I think. I mean, you don't have to if you're playing against me and you just play any random card and beat me with it. But if you are, you know, trying to make a cohesive deck, then you might have to forego your chain with bludgeoners, your aggressive justice cards, and play some more defensive ones. And then, um, and then you, the sort of the top end is those powerful time cards. You control the board with stuff like. Uh, with Siphon or Paladin and Caravan Guard, and, and then you, you just ramp up to your unbeatable top end. 
So yeah. I think that's how Combra normally works. Um, I, I, but also I think just sort of general high card quality, uh, and then you end up in Combra is another part of it. So that it could just be a bunch of good cards sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, what's kind of interesting is, I guess, thinking back to, like, um, set seven, you know, where Cambrai, because it had longhorns, was kind of an aggressive color, It and it also had the the Cambrai uh, two-cost plus three plus three overwhelm trick. So, like, I feel like Cambrai oftentimes is kind of, like, an aggressive, like, relies on times overstatted units and Justice's tricks to, like, make a good deck and that is not really what combra is doing in this format no you don't really have the tools for that i think it's a more i think it's a, a more defensive posture that you have to take if you're if you're drafting combra yeah but i even though aggro is so effective in this format there are good uh sort of slower decks clearly so um so yeah and that's, that's kind of what combra has got a little, that this little combra deck does does not seem to me to be like an aggressive deck. It's doing something else, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I think, for example, I think Enter the Monastery is a playable card, and all that does is draw two Justice Sigils from your deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Combray is probably the color you want that in. Most yeah, likely. yeah, almost definitely. But then you know, but then it's playable in that deck, and yeah, that means. That means you're comfortable taking a turn off to play Enter the Monastery because you know your defense is so good. Yeah. Okay, so that's all I wanted to highlight so far in this like first initial um, gathering of decks that we've got. So we'll see how this develops as we get more decks in and whether things change. But so far, the numbers that have shown that have come up kind of match my expectations. More or less, I guess. I am actually kind of surprised at how poor Shadow is doing. Because um, that has felt like a really strong color to me. Um, it just has a lot of good spells. Um, but, but yeah, maybe that's just a... Um, a um, I have a wrong sense of it. I don't know. I don't think there's anything... I think that Shadow has some good cards, but it's hard to throw them all together in the same deck. It's a little split between the deck that wants to attack and the deck that wants to defend with mm-hmm. like ambush and fast spells. So I think it's kind of a case with Shadow where so many of its cards are good in specific archetypes and unplayable in others yeah that you end up not wanting to draft it because the car you know there's there's two you'll end up with too many cards that don't really fit your strategy very well yeah uh, whereas with justice like you're you're probably fine <laughs> like all of your cards are gonna go with what you're trying to do more or less um and same thing for fire uh and i i would say that's more that's it's, a, it's like the problem that Primal has, where all of its cards are there for a specific purpose, but not all the same purpose. And I think Shadow's got a little bit of that going on this time. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just feel like, you know, with the 2-2 two, two that grows if it hits the opponent, mm-hmm. like that's a pretty good 2-drop. Sure. Which Primal usually doesn't get. And then the 3-cost... Um, uh, Fast spell, sack, and kill a unit with revenge. Sure. 
That's a pretty good spell. So it feels like <laughs> even with just yeah, those two, but but just but those two don't go in the same deck. You know what I mean? Like it's hard for like you don't want to sacrifice your lurking brute. Yeah, and so that's the problem. Is that the is that if you're going to be playing a lot of things like lurking brute that need to make contact with your opponent, then you don't want to be playing two drops that you want to sacrifice to grizzly contest at the, in that same deck because they don't really. They're not really doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, the, they're not, like, it's not, you can play things that you want to sacrifice, but, like, a lot of the things that you want to sacrifice aren't meant to attack real powerfully. So you end up with, if you end up with, like, a bunch of lurking brutes or cards like that, that want, like, two drops that are really good at attacking, and then you also are trying to include cards that are okay to sacrifice uh, to Grizzly Contest, then that's just, it's very hard to make that, deck actually work uh you have to have something left to attack and kill your opponent with and so i think that's what the tension is like i think grizzly contest is a fantastic card in xenon where you can wait until you're on your uh until your opponent's turn sacrifice something that you've already gotten value off of like a blur haze worm or um or like a uh i don't know uh, like a uh, what's it called the, the 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 time card that just draws you another time sigil when you play it that kind of thing um, like you've got a lot more tools if you're playing Xenon and then Grizzly Contest is great because you don't need to attack ever you just you're just hanging back and doing things on your opponent turn opponent's turn and then finally clearing their board and attacking with your units once you're done with uh, you know fiddling around. Um, but you don't play you don't play the two two brute in that deck because you that's your whole strategy is that you don't attack on turn three and four you're you've got a, you've got other things going on um, so it, so the good cards aren't complementary whereas in justice the good cards are very complementary you've got your bludgeoner which is good whenever you play a justice sigil you've got your badge of honor which is a weapon that generates more justice then you've got your caravan guard which gets to attack which is a three five for three that gets to attack if you have enough justice and then you've got your your four drop imbue dude that grows every time you generate more influence which again you're doing with your badge of honor you know everything goes together all of the good cards are are are, uh are synergistic it's not really true for shadow to the same degree (laughs) you've got like three different strategies you're trying to support and for primal, it's like five different strategies that the condoms are trying to support. So all the so the good cards uh, barely go together. Although maybe that's a, that's one where I just haven't figured it out. But according to the statistics of the uh, of the decks that are winning, nobody else has figured it out either. Yeah, and I this is like a constant theme with primal. I feel like there's no primal cards that are just like as generically powerful. Yeah, you, you know they don't even have like a foundation like i feel like you can see with shadow you're just like i'll just take a bunch of these brutes and sort of have a <laughs> yeah let's hope like anything that makes them attack better is going to be good um yeah there's nothing like that in primal uh they didn't even go with they didn't even go with a good sort of mid-size flyer which you'd think would be the baseline for primal is a, like a you know a 2-2 flyer for three or something at common that seems you would at least be able to take that and play it. It's like, yeah, because Primal does flyers, but apparently it doesn't. <laughs> apparently yeah. Justice does flyers. 
slowly throws snowballs at your opponent's face. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, you've got your Yeti Taunt Patrol. It's it's sort of got evasion. <laughs> Every time you play a Sigil, it does one damage. It's not great, but it's it's a card. It's one of Primal's cards. <laughs> All right, so I think this leads us straight into our main topic. Um, we've kind of talked about some of this already, but we just wanted to talk about what's been working in this format and sort of general thoughts. Um, do you want to take it away? Sure. Um, I guess the first thing that I want to say about the format is it feels like the bombs are more impactful than usual. Just the the rares and occasionally the uncommons that really um, uh, that can win the game single-handedly. It feels like there's more of those than usual, and they're harder to deal with. Uh, like, if you get a rare, like, Severin, for example, um, uh, the new Severin of the Dark, which is a 5-7 for 6 Shadow Shadow, and has a Surge ability that p- plays a Piercing Grief. That's the 3-1 with Charge and Life Steal and Revenge that dies at the end of your turn. Um you're going to play that and you're going to win several games just because you have that card. It's not, it's a bit, it's real tough to win with Severin on the, if you can't, if you can't immediately kill your opponent Severin, (laughs) like, like it's gaining life. It's gaining life again. When the piercing griefs come back, every sigil that that you draw makes another one. Uh, it's all, it's huge itself. I know, and, that's uh, the worst part. It's like a forget or silence doesn't even really deal with Severin. No, no, then you've still got a 5-7 and, <laughs> and you made at least one Piercing Grief the turn that you that you summoned the thing. It's it's unbelievable. And then, uh, and then while we're on the subject of Shadow Rares, the Unforgiven, which is a 7 Shadow Shadow 5-6 with Flying and Ambush, um, and when you summon it, the enemy player discards five random units from their deck, essentially neutering it. <laughs> and then you've got a 5-6 with flying. Also, you killed something that was attacking on the turn that you made it because you can't play around rares. It's uh, it's absurd. Um, and not every rare is quite that brutal, but a lot of them are. Like, if you get a siege train, if you get, like, uh, if you get that like blue um, two two flyer that draws cards for each every two blue influence that you have, um, if you get, let's see, what are, what are what are some of the others? Well, Mokto's a legendary, so we we can't really count that. Tolute's uh, <laughs> pretty good. I had Tolute in a deck. Tolute is very yeah. Tolute is is rough. I would put Tolute right up there with Severin on on how hard it is to win once that thing is out. Because to loot neuters the entire ar- uh, opposing army repeatedly, yeah. even if you don't have a relic weapon out, it's it's taking an attack off of everything uh, in your opponent's army every time you gain influence. It's crazy. Tavrod is is all uh, not quite where to loot is. Tavrod, which uh, is a five seven for five, <laughs> that makes. Each other unit's strength and health become the lower of the two. That doesn't always destroy your army, but sometimes it does. Um, and then, of course, it draw he draws a weapon from the top five cards of your deck and makes it ridiculous when you kill him. Uh, there's just a lot of cards like that. 
I, I feel like there haven't been, I haven't checked, I haven't done a statistical analysis of this, but it feels like uh, there didn't used to be quite so many cards that just ended the game quite so decisively. I agree. I mean, I think this is this is a thing that we've talked about a few times on the podcast, is that Eternal, in general, seems to have like lower-powered rares that are not quite as influential on the game. You know, like, just even think to last set where you're like, wow, Aura Piercer, what a, what a bomb rare. And that was just like a big flyer where you could sometimes draw a card. Yeah, yeah, and it was like a 6-5 flyer for sure, but it didn't, like, there were ways to deal with it. I summoned plenty of Aura Piercers and then still lost the game somehow, you know? Yeah, and that it was, was like... hard, but of, it was one, and it was one of the better cards, but it wasn't, it, it was no Severin. Yeah, exactly. And so I think I agree. That is one of my, yeah, immediate takeaways is just, I think because they're theoretically in a vacuum, very hard to cast because a lot of the really good rares have really high influence costs. So Direwolf could make them more powerful. But within the context of the set where you're really playing with a lot of influence, it you, it's not as much of a hurdle, at least yeah. <laughs> it feels that way. It's not... If your bombs are in... If you if you see bombs in the packs that are in the factions that you're drafting, then it's probably not that hard to cast them. I've had Upsot the Savior in a couple of decks. Uh, that's the uh, it's a it's a six five. It's a rare. It's a six five for four, but it costs five time influence. Uh, when the enemy player plays a unit, you gain one health. And but on summon, it silences every unit in the enemy player's hand. Usually you win if you play Upsot. <laughs> Um, but if I saw Upsot and I wasn't playing Time as my main, I wouldn't take it. Which yeah. means that the, the number of, except for the first pack where you can kind of draft around the bombs that you open, um, that it's, it's pretty much down to sheer chance whether you play bomb, whether you have bombs in your deck or not. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is I feel like that argument could go either way because... If you take rare drafters out of the equation, which there are a lot of rare drafters in Eternal, so you can't, so it is a bit more chancy that way. But like, because the influence requirements are so high, if you're in the right lane, you should theoretically be seeing these rares later too. Theoretically, yeah. But also maybe nobody opens one, you know, and then passes yeah. it to you. So it... it it's just as much. It's just as much a crapshoot, really. Um, yeah, and it makes it more of a yeah. In theory, yes, but people do draft rares, um, and there's and it's for for a lot of people who are playing on a budget. That's the correct thing for them to do. So, uh, so that that kind of negates the strategic element where you should be seeing those monocolor um, bombs later than usual. Sometimes it happens. Like I've seen, there's that uh, there's that primal card, not one of the new cards, uh, but it's a four four flyer for six that stuns two uh, two enemy units when it comes into play. That's a that's a definite bomb. 
Um, and I've seen it at like fifth pick or something because nobody was in primal. So that does happen for sure. Um, but I haven't seen like Upsot or uh, or Severin pick two. <laughs> like, right. People just take that and play it, <laughs> or or just keep it in their collection. Or something. Yeah, it's yeah, not I mean, happening with the new cards. That's going to be especially be true with the new set. Uh, this does bring up an interesting point, and it's something you mentioned on your stream yesterday too, um, with seeing a lot of Marizos. I think because the with how the draft packs are made with there being like a 5x and a 10x category the rares that are 10x in the draft packs you're just going to see a surprising amount because in each of the colors there's not that many rares that are 10x and 10x is so much larger than 1x you know this is sort of being been the biggest delta between boosted yeah. and unboosted so those boosted rares are just going to appear a lot more. And there's some really good boosted rares, like Marizo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, so, uh, uh, and I'm not sure that Marizo should be boosted by 10 times, if that's true. Because, it, it like, as we've discussed before, Marizo's too good. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean if that's true? That is, it's a... is it, no, no, but is it ten, it's definitely 10 times? It's definitely just... 10 times. I can't oh, sorry. What, what do you contradicting mean? Contradicting me on my own podcast like No, that. no, I didn't. Maybe I didn't hear you actually say that. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> sorry, I'm just kidding. I, yeah, it is 10 times. All right. Well, I guess I, I haven't looked at the 10 times rares. Uh, I looked at the 10 times commons and uncommons and then didn't look at the rares because uh, in other formats, it didn't matter what the 10 times rares were. Uh, but because well, they one, weren't it sure does. 10 times, really. And yeah. I hadn't I hadn't looked at it until sort of you mentioned seeing the rares, um, certain rares so often, and then I was like, huh, I wonder if what's the deal about that? And then that's when I I saw that. Yeah, so Marizo is ten times. Uh so yeah, so that's the situation with the rares. <laughs> is that it ends up it ends up being kind of it ends up feeling pretty random whether you get uh good bombs or not, and bombs are of are so so powerful in this format that it makes a huge difference in whether or not you win games. Um, at the same time, as uh, all of the fixing is kind of on faction reinforcement fixing, like the symbols, they'll give you two fire for you know the one symbol, um, and that makes sense because so many cards have influence like influence requirements that take a lot of one influence, or they get a lot better if you have a lot of that influence, and uh, so it makes sense that that fixing would happen. But it also means that it feels very restrictive and like you have to make a choice pretty early um, and maybe again i'm just not doing this right but it feels like you have to make a choice pretty early uh of what your main faction is going to be and then just hope that you see the cards for it just kind of hope um because there's not a lot you can do if you get cut in packs two and three um because the fixing to be able to play like th the three or four factions if you're not really able to get enough playables in your main faction is just not going to be there. Uh, I, I guess that's just a, a negative way of looking at it. Um, it is interesting that there are ways of getting more influence in one faction, but I, I don't like that the cards require you to do that. Um, 
in order to be playable. I don't think it's as interesting as uh, as as giving you the tools to draft either uh, two factions or multiple factions, and then whatever strategy you like best, you get to do. I don't think you've got the option here. You've got a choice between like mono or dual faction, pretty much realistically, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, I, I, you don't have a lot of flexibility. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm having a little. Having, I'm having some trouble. Uh, having some trouble getting into the groove on that. Um, so yeah, and then I. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, I think one of the problems is you know, even the uncommon fixing with the vows, since that only fixes you for one of your colors. It's, it doesn't actually help as much as one would think for like splashing and stuff. Yeah, not really. It it's it's still those are still good cards, you know, not every card in the format requires a lot of influence in one faction. So there are times when it's like, yeah, do you want to splash something and maybe you get the vows so that you can do that fairly easily, but um but since so many since since there's no other encouragement, like there's no redundancy with the vows. The, there's the vows that do that. Normally you would have like the seats, which would be the really good influence fixing. And then you would have the banners, which are common, like the seats are uncommon. And then the banners are common, but they do the same thing as the seats, but not quite as well. Um, and then you have the tokens maybe, which do the same thing as banners, but again, not as well as the banners. And here you've got the vows and that's it. There's no common version of the vows. Uh, they're the only card that does anything like that. So it's not really those are those feel like they're there for constructed and they will very, very occasionally help you in draft, but not really that often. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like with the especially in this format, like a banner or a seat, I feel like would be even better because oftentimes you're going to want a lot of influence in your main faction and then just like a little bit of influence in your um yeah, yeah, they'd play very well in your off, you know, your in your splash faction. But with the vow, you're really sacrificing, you know, your main color influence if you're using a vow for splashing, sort of. Yeah, yeah, um, you, you are, and so they don't play as well in this format as the seats would. Uh, it, I I would love it if the banners were in the were in the draft, um, were were in the curated draft packs, but. I don't think they're, I mean, they're, they won't make the first uh, big unexpected shift in the draft makeup right away. So I'll just have to figure out how to, how to play with it as it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say that the symbols um, have been a lot better than I expected. Oh yeah. They're strong. And I like playing with them. I think that makes all of these weird influence requirements a lot more manageable. Yeah. So... So that was a, a surprise for me because I was kind of thinking of them, you know, close closer to tokens. How we used to view tokens is sort of like a depleted power that could help you, but you really kind of wanted to get better fixing if you could. But the symbols, I think, for some reason, play better than the tokens do. I think they play better than tokens. Yeah, they add to influence, you know. They don't yeah. add. They don't add two different influence, but that's not what you want in this format. You want two of the same influence. So they do that. They do that job really well. They add two to surge. They 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 play great. They're 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 pretty strong. 
Yeah. Um, All right. I'm a fan of the symbols. Um, I also would say uh, another point, um, separate from the one that I was just talking about, is that I, I think in general the curated draft packs do a pretty good job of supporting the, the themes of the set because the cards that they chose for the curated draft packs, at least in the commons and uncommons, um, like there's there's a certain amount of redundancy in their function. For example, if you're looking for a two-drop injustice that you can sacrifice for some value, uh, you've got your you've got a card like Solemn Clergy in in the uh, in the Argent Depths packs. Uh, that's the that's the one one for two. It has plunder. And when you sacrifice it, it silences an enemy unit. It's a great card to sacrifice if you want to make, for example, a 3-3 relic weapon out of it on turn three. Um, and uh, but then in the main, uh, and then then in the curator draft packs, you've got Copper Hall Porter, which is a two-one for two. Um, and when you and when it dies, you pull a Justice Sigil out of your deck. They don't do exactly the same thing, but if you are looking for cards that get sacrificed for value. They're similar enough, and that you like can kind of count on getting as many as you need between the all four packs. Like you're not going to set yourself up with a deck in Justice that wants to sacrifice units and never see any units that you want to sacrifice. There's a lot of redundancy there. That's good. That's good design. Um, there's Apprentice Mage and Learned Herbalist. Those are both two drops in time. One is in. Uh, one at one is in Argent Depths, and it's a two-two for two that just gives you plus one max power. There is Learned Herbalist, which sacrifices, which uh, lets you discard one of the cards in your hand uh, to ramp later. Uh, they're they're similar enough where, like, if you need ramp for your deck on turn two, you're probably going to be able to find it. I like that kind of thing in the curated draft packs where you're not doing you're not drafting two different parts of your draft strategy. In, in the two different halves of the draft packs. Like, you can kind of always be trying to do the same thing the whole time. I think that's generally pretty good design. It's like, these aren't identical cards, um, but they're close enough where you don't feel like you have to... Like, you're not scrambling for playables um, in, uh, in half of your draft because the 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 available cards are so different and like you get cult recruiter and sand tornado in time too which are both sort of mid-size ambush units uh it's i i, I kind of like what they did there's probably some problems here or there but I'm, i've been noticing that they did a pretty good job of uh of providing redundancy in the commons anyway yeah and i think they just the draft packs have a lot more just like playable cards and fewer just like fringe cards that are like quote unquote support the theme right but you don't actually want to play and that may be because they now have enough of a library of cards that they can support the theme without putting just outright bad cards in the in the draft packs right um, yeah and that's a kind of an exciting thought slash point is like you know as eternal gets a larger and larger category like the draft packs become more and more playable and so we don't have to like struggle with these like some of the some of the versions of the draft packs that we've dealt with yeah like next time they do warp as a, as one of the mechanics of a set 
maybe they won't have to include like 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 twenty commons that don't really do anything because they happen to be the only warp spells. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe we'll have enough warp warp cards that actually do things uh, that that won't be half of the draft pack anymore. Is like add add plus one strength to your unit this turn. Warp. <laughs> like, great. What a great card. <laughs> yeah. 10x boosted Bren scrying. Yeah. It's just, Bren, just nothing but Bren scrying. All yeah. the way down. I agree with that. Uh, yeah. And so they're, uh, it's not all negative. You know, I think they did a good job in some ways. Um, and it's not like uh, bombs being so good is necessarily entirely a bad thing. It's exciting when you have them. I just in general don't like uh don't like things that are are swingy um where where it's either amazing or terrible and that's kind of the situation with bombs is either you have them and your deck is awesome or you don't and your deck is crippled and that's kind of and that's kind of rough um it's uh it feels like there should be a more even curve but they wanted some really show-stopping rares in this set and 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 we got them, so uh, we have to take things removal that can deal with those cards, and uh, we have to we have to be prepared as well as we can. Yeah. All right, and then um, I guess the final thing I wanted to ask you about is maybe any archetypes that you've been having success with. When I can get into it, the Zen and Ambush archetype is has been really strong for me. Uh, I, I do like I do like that one because it gives me a lot of options. I can I can uh, I can react to what my opponent is is doing, and also I think it's probably very intimidating to play against a Zen and Ambush deck because they never use the their power on your turn, so you kind of just have to attack your guys into whatever's in store for them. <laughs> um, and it's... Uh, so I enjoy playing as that deck, and you get some of the best bombs in the format, too. Um, if you do end up with some bombs, the, there's some really good ones in Time and Shadow. So that one's that one's been strong for me. And I've been having... I've been doing pretty well with Stone Scar, too. I've had two seven-win decks in Stone Scar. One was just, like, make really high-quality big attackers and get in there. Um, and that's probably the best deck that I've had in this format, period. Uh, and then the other one had an awful lot of ways to make units unblockable, and mm-hmm. then a bunch of units with high strength. And that was the whole deck was just make units that had a that could punch hard, and then have make it impossible to stop them from punching. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and that worked that worked real well. That was a solid strategy. Mm-hmm. So, do you think the Stone Scar decks are leaning in on the like five power? Sort That's of that stuff? certainly helps. Like, it doesn't even have to be five power, uh, five strength. It has. It can be just high strength because uh, yeah. the five strength threshold is mostly for the two uncommons in Stone Scar. Uh, the uh, the spirit, one. the Spirit Weaver that makes it life steal, and the Might Weaver that makes it double damage. Even if you don't have one of those two cards, although both of them are awesome, even if you don't have uh, those two cards, having units with high strength just sort of will benefit you in general because you've got ways to make them unblockable. You've got Vorpal Cutter, which gets a bonus when it attacks equal to the highest strength among your other units. So just having 
units with high strength in your deck. They don't even need to attack. The Vorpal Cutter can use their strength. So things like that, uh, just sort of being able to punch hard in general is a is a solid strategy for Stone Scar. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to second your Xenon Ambush thing. I, I've currently playing a Xenon Ambush deck, and it is way better than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the... What's it called? Sorry. The Blur Haze Worm yeah. is a much better card than I, I thought it was going to be. I think that was a hard one to evaluate, but yeah, I agree. I think Blur Haze Worm is really, was very good. And obviously, I mean, I think a lot of decks can play, or at least I've been seeing a lot of different decks play the Blur Haze Worm, even when they're not Xenon. But it it obviously really shines in the Xenon Ambush deck. And what's so nice about it in the Xenon Ambush deck that I hadn't really appreciated is since you're drawing, you draw two cards with it, but because your most of your deck is Ambush units and fast spells, you're very likely to be able to play those spells, those cards that you drew, even though it's your opponent's turn when you drew them. Yeah, that, that happens a lot once you once you have quite a bit of power. Yes. So, yeah, so especially had... if you have some of those cheaper spells so you can like cast a forget when your opponent attacks, draw two cards, and then and then and then just like drop some ambush units. It's great. Yeah, or like a couple of play patterns that happen for me is like my opponent attacks and I have a blur haze on the board and then I drop an ambush unit, draw another ambush unit, and then I'm like, oh, well now I have enough units to like double or triple block and kill their guys. Yeah. And like, and I didn't have that until I drew more cards to ambush with. Yeah, it feels like you have a lot of control over the game. And also, it's kind of an archetype that uh, that we never really saw before. Yes. Uh, at least not supported to this degree. So it's fun playing it because you just, we just didn't get to do this in Eternal Draft before. I agree. And it has made... I assume that the 2-3 um, the Ambush guy was not going to be a particularly good card. But that card has overperformed in my ambush deck yeah yeah it's good there's enough two twos like the the evangels are are 10 times boosted commons you know and Mm -hmm. those evangels will attack into tornadoes all day yeah exactly all right and so we're move on to our you know the the segment everyone's been waiting for where we'll (laughs) compare our ratings and um Kind of just discuss the cards that we disagreed on. I think it, instead of doing a full-on set review, which would take us hours, since card of the week, which is two cards, usually takes us 20 minutes. Can you imagine reviewing 200? Um, Tune in for our 46-hour next episode. <laughs> so what we do instead is we rate all the cards separately, and then we just review um, the cards where we ha- have... Two or more difference. And for those who are, are wondering about the rating, well, I'll just quickly go over it. So it's a 1 to 10 scale with 10 being bombs. Um, so the best of the best. Um, and then 1s being unplayable. 9s are ec- 
excellent or A's. So example would be like lightning sprite, fell ritual, sort of these like really high class units, some good rares, some kill anything spells. There's great, always playable in your main color, like uh, Grodov's Favored or Streets of Flame. Seven is good, kind of like a B, Crooked Alley Guide, Blurry Chaser, above average, um, so always, almost always playable if it's your main color. Um, example being like Tremor Shocker. Um, then average is your just your bread and butter units, like a coastal recruit. And then kind of goes down from there, below average, filler, bad. So that's kind of the scale we used. So now let's talk. So our, our first disagreement, um, and we're gonna go in fire, time, justice, primal shadow order is i guess we just disagreed on all the etchings more or less i gave them sixes and you gave them fours yeah and i don't know i mean you could be right i uh it's just sort of a question of how high i'm prioritizing them i end i don't usually end up with a lot of really relevant stuff to put in my market so far in this format maybe that's maybe i'm not consciously drafting market cards um and if i did start doing that then i the, the etchings would go up so uh, I just haven't, like, I'm just not uh, taking etchings over a lot of other cards at this point. So that's why I have it at four. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. Etch sort of, etchings haven't, like, overperformed or anything for me. I kind of gave it a six, mostly based on, like, I feel like they should be better than they've been playing for me. Yeah. Um. Like, I've seen people etchings against me, like, they'll go get something, and I always feel like, oh, they're going to get a card that they didn't want to put in their main deck. <laughs> so, I guess they did turn a sigil, probably, into a uh, into a playable card, usually, but it's not usually a card that has a lot of impact. Yeah, so, well, the thing is, it doesn't cost you a card at all, no, because, no, no, it doesn't. you know, you're drawing the sigil, and then... Yes, you're turning the you're turning the etchings itself essentially into a playable card of your choice. So it's sort of like, it, it in a sense, you're you're changing the etchings into a card that didn't quite make your main deck. Yeah, um, and I think choice. the fact the market change that they made uh, a few months ago, where all markets are now black markets, kind of hurt etchings for me. It did, yeah. There's a lot of times when I don't want to play like three copies of a card, but I also can't put the third copy into my market and get it with etchings. That's yeah. impossible to do. And so that's happened. I've used it a little. I used it a little bit in a couple of my heavy fire decks where I just kind of put my expensive top end card in the market instead, um, and that worked out okay. Or, yeah. the, or there's, you know, like the five cost three one quick draw where I'm like, if that gets stuck in my hand, I'm not like super excited and it's not that great of a unit, but like pulled out of my market. It's not so yeah. bad. Yeah, I've put, I've put like really hard to, hard to summon cards in, in my market, like cards that are that with just like crazy influence requirements that I might not be able to get to every game. Um, but then maybe I maybe I can etchings for them. It's, yeah, that's that's sort of like 
that makes it. Uh, but also, then you've got other options. So in case you haven't like gotten enough time together to actually cast a disappear, then maybe you can uh, maybe you can use some of your less intense time cards or something. I guess you've always gotten enough. No, what I just said made no sense at all because you've definitely got enough time influence to cast your disappear <laughs> if you if you're getting it with a time matching. <laughs> it's required. So never mind that. Um, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, so I don't really know how to exactly evaluate it, but it's somewhere between a four and a six, I think. Yeah. I think we can agree on that. Yeah, I think that's a nice spread for them. So we don't have to talk about the other etchings because that's what I did with all of them. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't give one more than the other. All right, so the next fire card that we disagreed on was Rust Machine, which is the... Three fire, three two. When you play a spell with cost five or more, play two one one rustlings with decay. Ultimate pay four to get plus five power this turn. Yeah. And you gave it a seven, and I gave it a five. Yeah, I did. Uh, I until I played with it a little bit more, I'm pretty sure that it is about a seven. It the fact that it ramps without dying is very good uh, a lot of fire cards that give you extra power go away after they do that and uh-huh. this one does stick around and just gives you a boost um once and the, the prevalence of spells that are that cost five or more make it so that its ability activates pretty often and so that's sort of a lot of value for one card you know, you get whatever the effect of the spell is, and then you get these bonus rustlings, and it's it's sort of a, uh, it, it's just sort of a lot of functionality. Um, and its body is obviously a little bit small for something that costs three, um, but considering the upside, I think generally it's real good. I can imagine that it ends up closer to a six in the long run, but I'm still pretty high on it now. Yeah, I gave it a five just because, like, I see the potential for it. Um, but I was just thinking, like, in the average deck, um, you know, what is it? How happy am I to take it early? And I guess I've still been viewing the fire decks mostly through the lens of being aggressive decks where this is, really doesn't shine. Um, but the fact that it's ultimate, where you pay four to get plus five power this turn allows you to to you know you play this on turn three then turn four you play one power and then you get to play your five drop and sort of skip a turn yeah it plays very well yeah and i mean if you do play a five cost spell you're getting a lot of value i guess i just haven't drafted that deck yet nor really faced someone that was like playing a lot of five cost spells so i still haven't quite I feel like, I, I guess it's not that common of a deck, but it does exist. I mean, it's easiest to do in Praxis because then you also have your Ancient Machinists that you want to activate. That's the two one that uh, yeah, and you get that, your that turns into a 5-5 five, five or a 6-6 six, six if you cast a 5 or a 6 cost spell. Yeah, and you get the Disappear and then the other one. Right, you've got playable spells if you're, in, if you're doing that. So, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. Um, it doesn't often come together, I guess, but it, when it does, it's very powerful. So, All right. Yeah, I mean, I could see that going up. I still don't know if I'm taking it like as early as a 7 says, like, comes off to me. 
as, but it's definitely a card that I would be, you know, will be a seven in the right deck. Sure. Yeah. All right. So then next card is Darkfire. Um, yeah, Darkfire is, uh, it's a spell. It costs five fire fire. It says deal damage to an enemy equal to the highest strength among your units. And if you have two shadow influence, it also has lifesteal. I have it as a five. You have it as a three. Explain yourself. Explain myself. <laughs> I just, I just don't like really conditional cards like this. Like okay. this does nothing if you're behind. Well, it doesn't do nothing. It does kill something probably. I mean, all you have to do is have a unit on board, and this will do damage. Yeah, well, if you have no units, it does... Okay, if you're really, really behind, it does absolutely nothing. Yeah, but then how many cards do anything if you're really, really behind? A unit would at least put something on the board. Yeah, and then you chump block for a turn, and then you're dead. Yeah, I know, but, like, <laughs> if, if all you have is a 2-2 on the board, you're probably not killing anything of relevance. Yeah, well, Darkfire obviously is better if you have cards with high strength, but then I think in if you're playing Fire, you generally do. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot. A lot of them get high strength after you surge and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and then you can play the dark fire before you attack. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to point out that dark fire does go face. Yeah. No, I... Yeah. I and can even, see how it could be a good card. I'm never done to pick it. it just, I didn't. I I only gave it a five. I think it's an average card. <laughs> but I yeah, do but think like an average playable. card is a card I'm happy to play. I still think like an average card is a card I'm sort of like, I'll put this. You know, it's a twenty. How many cards are there in a deck? You know, like a twenty seventh, twenty eighth card or whatever. But like. Okay. This is like a card I'm only putting in a very specific deck. And in my normal fire deck, I'm not very happy putting this in. Okay. I feel like. That's why I gave it a three. Gotcha. And you have not convinced me it's a five. Okay. But uh, yeah, okay. All right. Next is Valley of the Ancients, which is the five fire fire fast spell. Play a five four sentinel exhausted. Gain time time shadow shadow. Yeah. And you gave this a seven and I gave this a four. Yeah, I think there's a pattern in in how we rated these expensive spells that grant influence when you cast them too. I think I rated all of them much higher than you did. And I guess time will tell on them. But anyway, Valley of the Ancients, I think uh, I rated it so high because it plays so well with the other themes of the set. Uh, it gives you a five strength unit in um, if you're in Stone Scar and you need units with high strength. Um, it gives it's a it's an expensive spell if you're in Praxis and you need to cast expensive spells to activate things like Ancient Machinist and Rust Machine. Um, it gives you a 5-4 no matter what. I know it's exhausted, so you're not blocking with it that turn, 
Um, but it's a it's a beefy it's a beefy chunk of unit. Uh, regardless, uh, it adds something to the board on your opponent's turn after they've attacked that they weren't expecting to have to deal with. So I think it's generally a pretty effective card. And also, the fact that it grants two influence, which activates Surge when you cast it, is relevant in a lot of decks. Yeah, I I agree. I'm a little... I I feel like four was wrong on this card. I, I would go up to a five or a six, I think. Sure. Like you said, I'm not really a believer in some of these spells that give two influence of the other color that are, especially when they're expensive, because, like, I've, I feel like, for me, it's been hard to make decks that wanted that. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's more that it gives it to you at fast speed, and sometimes you want things to surge at fast speed. Yeah. Like, you can cast... You don't have to cast this on your opponent's turn. You know, you can attack with your um, with your your flame heart controllers. They get plus two strength with surge, and then your opponents block, and then you you grant them four more strength at instant speed with this spell. You know, it kind of plays well with what you're already doing. Yeah, no, I I I like that kind of use for it. And like I, the baseline of of five cost five four is not that bad, especially in fire. So I think I I I let my my um, dislike of the rest of this cycle I think influence my grade for this card. Fair enough. Well, we'll tackle the rest of the cycle when we encounter it. <laughs> yes. All, all right. Uh, the we're moving on to time now. Our first card um, that we disagreed with in time is forget, which is the one-time fast spell with revenge that says silence an enemy in it. Yeah. Um, and I you maybe... gave it a 7 and I gave it a 5. And uh, I I like this card. I think we're probably closer than the grades. I'm probably higher on it than the 5 that I gave it. My thinking is I just... I'm kind of... Right now, my... My assumption is that I kind of want one of these in every deck which is why I, I really want the first one. So I I would take the first one very highly, but it's not a card that I that I, I want a ton of, which is why I put it as a five. I, I started the format thinking of it as a five, and I keep going up on it. Um, it and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that we're playing with Imbue, and it's there's, there's times when Imbue units can really get out of control. Mm-hmm. And uh, forget will just wreck an imbue unit right in the middle of combat when it's attacking or something, um, and it's very valuable for that. I think the most common one, common imbue unit that you see is probably uh, Auric Official. That's just the the uh, four justice one one with imbue, and uh, with surge it gets plus one plus one. Uh, that it's that can be a really tough card to deal with because it'll start out large and then keep getting bigger, but forget makes it a four mana one one. <laughs> yes, uh, and there's there's enough cards that are useless after they've been silenced in this format that uh, I think forget is closer to being a real removal spell than than just a than than it than it might be in a format with more things that are naturally huge. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. you know like a lot of the stuff a lot of the a lot of the units in this format are kind of small until their special special ability kicks in and uh um and forget really deals with that quite efficiently all right so do you think i'm wrong in thinking that you do you want more than one copy i'd probably i'd probably play two uh it depends on the deck of course if i have a lot of ways of killing units outright then i'm not going to need the forgets as much but I'm pretty comfortable playing two at this point. I guess okay. that doesn't mean a seven, though. That should be closer to a six. Yeah. You know, I think the discussion's the important part, not getting the exact yeah. number. Yeah, and I don't like ranking these cards in the first place anyway. Yeah. At least we got to discuss it. <laughs> All right. And then we're pretty much agreed for, for most of the time cards, except for um, the next one is Silent Hysteria. Yeah, Silent Hysteria is the next in this cycle of big spells that provide influence. Um, it's, a, it's a fast spell. It costs five time time. It says silence the enemy void and each enemy unit. Gain double fire or double justice. Uh, so it's like a big forget, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess... Ca oh, I, 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 I rated it as a seven and you rated it as a four. It's probably closer to the middle of that, um, but for the same reason that I like Forget, I like Silent Hysteria. If it were not a fast spell, then no, I wouldn't like it. But the fact that it destroys imbue units um, and then just sort of incidentally neuters everything else that your opponent is doing all at the same time makes me feel like I have a lot of control over the game if I have this in my deck. Yeah. I mean, don't you think you would rather have play Forget than this card? Uh, I guess so. Uh, not if I need not if I not if I need to activate my ancient machinists though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. I mean, there's definitely uses for this card, but I mean, even I don't know. Even then, I would rather have a disappear and a forget in my deck. I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm overrating it. I've, it's just played very well for me, but it could be anecdotal at this point. Yeah. No, I don't know. I guess I just wonder how often. Yeah. I don't know. There's hardly a unit in this format that doesn't have a special ability. You know, there's not very many good, yeah. like, vanilla units. So you're taking an ability away from nearly everything when you silence it. I think the, the best defense against that is something like Siphoner Paladin that has an actual summon ability. So clearly you can't take that away by, by silencing it. But um, uh, a lot of the other stuff, yeah, again, maybe I'm just focusing too much on these, like, these aggressive fire decks in my mind, but I don't know, like, waiting till turn five to silence all your opponent's, like, surge units. Yeah, that might not be good enough. Um, I just haven't been encountering the really aggressive fire decks that much. Yeah. Uh, most of the fire decks that I get beaten by seem to be playing a little bit more of a mid-range strategy where they eventually overwhelm me with rustlings or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this helps against rustlings, I guess. It helps some. Yeah, rustlings really wear down your army. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I can see this being better than I think it is. Uh, I will... Yeah. Yeah, I so, don't know if it's a seven, but it's. Well, I'm gonna try it. You've talked me into trying. Yeah, this give part. it a shot and see how you feel about it. Yeah, it's got to be. You, you, I mean, you, 
you're going to be playing a bit of a slower deck anyway. You know, you're going to be getting some units down at first and then controlling the board later. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're not going to be a sort of some sort of aggro time deck with this. Time decks tend to play pretty slowly. Yes. In this format. Um, and then speaking of more expensive time spells, uh, the next card that we disagree with is Reality Snap, which is the six time, 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 time uh, fast spell that um, has revenge and it puts two enemy units into their owner's hand. And I gave this a five and you gave this a seven. Yeah. Yeah, again, this is sort of a board control thing. And also, I'm rating it higher because... Uh, do I need to explain what this is? I probably should explain what this is. It's a uh, six-time-time fast spell with revenge, put two enemy units into the enemy player's hand. Uh, I'm partly rating it high because it seems to absolutely destroy me when I'm playing against it. And I've, I've, I've come to have to respect it. Um, it gives you a lot of control over over a combat step, you know? Like, if your opponent is missing two of the units that they were blocking with, like, you can, like you can mess up a double block, you can, uh, you can save one of your units from getting killed by a combat trait. Like, this just gives you a lot that you can do. It doesn't permanently get rid of your opponent's units, obviously, but when it comes back, then it wrecks your opponent's board position again. Um, it feels strong to me. Uh, but obviously it's very expensive, and it might be, like, it's maybe something that you play if you don't have enough disappears or something like that, but um, I feel like when I'm playing time, I want ways to control the board in the event that something bad happens, yeah. you know, some sort of, like, like uh, one unit gets uh, a huge number of bonuses in one turn and then just kills you. Uh, and and it's one of the ways that you have to to deal with that. It does cost a lot. I'd almost rather have a teleport a lot of the time because then it just costs two. But um, yeah, I guess that's that was my grade. I like I didn't think it's a bad card. You know, like yeah. I gave it a five. I yeah. was just thinking like this is another card where I think I want one copy in most of my decks. Yeah, that's true. That's and for so sure. I don't want to be picking it up too early. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it is an uncommon, and so I, I maybe I'm rating the uncommons a little higher because I know I'm not likely to see another copy. Uh huh. Yeah. No, I think. I mean, I think that's. I think that's valid. Yeah. Yeah, that All makes right. sense. Because the next, I think the next one we're talking about is another part of this cycle. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So then we were agreeing. We're on to justice now. And <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> the the next card we disagreed with um, was Unbreakable Tradition, which is the five justice justice double a unit's attack and health and gain time time or primal primal. Uh, yeah. And so, once again, you gave I you gave us a seven and I gave us a four. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened. And um yeah. I think that I I've played this card now and it it under it's like when it's good it's good but it just has more so than the other um 
the other cards in the cycle that we've talked about, this one has a way lower floor. So this is the one I'm, I feel best about being low on. Okay, that's fair. I, I may need to play with it a little bit more. Uh, the fact that it keeps the bonus permanently seems very good. Yes, uh, that like that's that that's what differentiates this from just being a big combat trick. Um, but of course, you have it's it's helpful to have a very large unit to to put it on in the first place, and then that unit is is vulnerable to um, to hard removal. So of course, there's drawbacks to it. Yeah, but also oftentimes, like when you have a very large unit, you already have a very large unit. Right. I think. Yeah, and I guess the the case that it's best in is when you are attacking with a large unit and your opponent has to double block and then you make your unit larger. Uh, it doesn't die, and then it's harder to deal with the next time. Yeah. And I guess that's... Uh, I mean, that's not going to happen in every game, but it is a fairly common play pattern. Once you have a larger unit, eventually your opponent has to has to double block it or something i don't know yeah but i just feel like until you draw your like really good large unit you have this five cost spell in your hand that like does you know like this is a five cost spell that does nothing on turn five more or less if you i guess i guess that's true um you know like obviously you could play a four drop you know but like a, a lot of the time you're just like not playing that big of a unit early and then doubling it is like not not really you know like if you're spending five power to give a unit plus two plus two permanently you're not really doing it that's fair um i guess that's been my problem and i just had i had that issue like the two times like this card like was spectacular and won me the game and it felt really great and then a lot of times it just like sat dead in my hand as i was just like well i sure hope i draw my big unit so i can like spend five to eight power play my big unit then spend another five power and hopefully that helps me stabilize uh -huh. and then i'll get my two time or two primal so hopefully i can play my big you know i don't know it's just like it the it doesn't help the fixing aspects of these cards just have not impressed me as like i've already said it's just like i got you. and yeah. outside of the fire ones where like you're dealing more with surge like like justice does have surge cards but like time and primal don't really as much um not as many. Well, I mean, Primal has them, but they don't really... Uh, they don't have a lot of... They don't create a lot of board presence. Um, you can do two extra damage. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just I just want to quickly look at the Surge cards. Uh, yeah, I guess... I mean, Time's Surge cards are very, like, top-end. Like, Battery Mage... Battery Mage's Surge gives it even more max power, which is kind of cool, but you don't usually need it. And then we've already talked about Omen Scar Worm, and those are the only Surge cards for time. Yeah. I mean, you're really doing it if you play an Omen Scar wor Worm and then 
make it a 16-16 and draw two cards. Yeah. But yeah, like that game's going well for you. <laughs> weren't you already doing it by playing it? I don't know. <laughs> why why win by a little bit? <laughs> What's the point of winning if it can't be really really decisive? Yeah. The one question I had and maybe this is obvious is how does this interact with imbue? Like, so, like, say you have a 1-1 one, one and you imbue onto a 3-3 three, three and it becomes a 4-4. Four, four. Then you yep. play this, it becomes an 8-8. Eight, eight. Yes. And then you, when you silence the 3-3, three, three, does it just lose the three stats? I believe it does, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... It doesn't make a lot of, like, internal sense, but I believe that's exactly what happens. Okay. Because I was, like, scared to test the, <laughs> the interaction yeah. when I had it. I think imbue... What, like, I think functionally, the unit with imbue uh, gets a, um, a plus strength, plus health ability off of its imbue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that stays constant. So even if the, the size of the imbued unit changes, the unit with imbue is, uh, is still going to get the same bonus. Um, and then something that doubles its strength and health is just going to look at its current size. Yeah. You know, like uh, the same way that it would look at its current size if you cast like a finest hour on it first. Um, and then, you know, it's when it when the finest hour wears off, that's going to take off three from it. But it's going to get that permanent like strength health bonus from the finest hour as well. So I think it's similar to that. It's a little bit like a combat trick that doesn't end until the original unit is killed or unstunned. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yes. Oh, and uh, we'll just let, let's just throw a tip of the day into the middle of this, uh, which is that there is a time uncommon, which is... Uh, um, it is the... Uh, Sage of Sands, it's a 5-5 five, five for 5, uh, costs uh, one-time influence. Uh, it says, summon, you may give another unit endurance and overwhelm this turn. And the obvious thing to do with it is to give your own unit endurance and overwhelm this turn so that it can attack and overwhelm and block on the next turn. But also, you can turn off your opponent's imbues with it by giving your opponent's stunned unit endurance. <laughs> and then it stops being stunned. And it takes away the imbue bonus from the from the unit with imbue. I've done this and it works. Oh wow! Yeah, that is a good tip of the day. Yeah. All right, move. So that was our only justice card that we disagreed on. Um, so then we move on to primal. Uh, the first one, and this is one of the few cards where I was more positive on. I'm embarrassed to say, and uh, <laughs> I'm very optimistic. <laughs> Uh, Cheerful Shepherd, which is the two primal explorer. That's an O one, and it says summon, play a one two stampeding beast. And I gave this a five, and you gave this a three. Yeah, that's what I did. I don't know. I mean, it's okay. It's an okay little card. It just uh, uh, if you have sacrifice synergies, then obviously being able to sacrifice the zero one is good. But then you're still left with a 1-2. I don't know. Um, I just sort of haven't been impressed with it. And I wanted to. I wanted the sacrifice synergies to be good. It also theoretically helps with sort of go-wide 
synergies, like cards that care how many units that you have, and there are a handful of those as well. So theoretically, this should play very well with a few themes that the set has going on. In practice, it feels like I'm making two units that have no board impact. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I, my view of this is a little colored because I played it in a deck where I had the um, the new Eileen uh, Scion that gives all your primal units plus one, plus one. The legendary? Yeah. The legendary. <laughs> <laughs> so I had like three cheerful shepherds in my deck, and I'm like, oh, these aren't so bad. I'm still winning games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet you were. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I guess I just wanted to give five is too high. I I would go down to four. I think it's like an okay card. I think it would be better if there were a little bit more stat boosting. Um, you know, if like. Horn of Plenty was boosted. Yeah, stuff yeah like if that. Horn of Plenty was boosted, this would be a better card for sure. Um, so I will say, yeah, I was a little disappointed kind of like looking into ways to make this better and not seeing a ton. So yeah, three or four is probably closer to it. I guess they keep finding their way into my deck, so I feel I felt like bad giving it a <laughs> I was I was drafting it a bunch uh near the beginning of the format because I was trying to draft Huru and I was like there were some ways to sacrifice the units and stuff and uh it was okay I didn't really have much success with those decks but they were fun um and then I presume if I were in a shadow deck that had a lot of ways to sacrifice units for some value like with Grizzly Contest that the Cheerful Shepherds would also be pretty decent yeah, um, but I just sort of haven't found myself in that deck. Felm seems pretty difficult to draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because sort of like we were talking about, uh, Shadow and Primal seem to be very like have a lot of sort of niche finicky cards. So combining those two can be difficult. All right, uh, next card we disagree on is Frost, which is the one cost or the two cost. Two primal, fast spell, revenge, stun an enemy unit. Yeah. And you gave this a six, and I gave this a four. And I'm kind of surprised you gave this a, a six. Um, yeah. I have not played it yet, but... Um, uh, cheap stun spells always end up a little better than I think they will be, so I'm just sort of trying to be a little ahead of the curve on it. I know it's card disadvantage, Um but it gives you, uh, I don't know, it just gives you a certain amount of fast speed board control that I tend to like. I'm, whenever I am in a primal deck, I'm always like, oh, I sure wish I had a frost right now because it really save my bacon from whatever's going on. Mm. And, and then if I've cut the frost from my deck, I'm like, uh, I, knew, I knew I should have left it in. So I guess I was viewing it closer to that old, the, the old primal card where if you discard it, you got to play it for free and that could only stun a single unit. And I never really played that in my deck because it felt like there's a, there's like a huge jump between stunning one unit to stunning two units where like the stun one, I feel like is a much more defensive card and not always great in that role. While 
you know, cards like uh, Water Conjuring or any of that ilk with the stun two at fast speed, you know, that can play a dual role where it can sort of give you time to draw, to stabilize as well as just like win you the game. And Frost feels like it's lacking that where you're really more or less using it as a defensive card and sort of card. And it's not stunning enough to really stabilize you. Uh, yeah, yeah, you could be right. I might be overestimating it, but uh, that's just sort of where I currently at for it. I always, I feel like I always underestimate those cards, the ones that stuns a single unit at fast speed. Obviously, water conjuring is better, but water conjuring is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, what I mean, but even like water conjuring without, yeah, I just couldn't think of any of the names. Um, well, there's flash yeah, no, uh, what a flash freeze. Yeah, well, flash freeze was pretty good. I don't know. Flash freeze was great, but I think it's because it can stun two units. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, frost gets around to stunning another unit eventually. Yeah. <laughs> eventually. Um, yeah. So frost is also a necessary card, I think, in the in the Huru stun your opponent's stuff archetype, which I haven't drafted yet, but I'm told is very good. Yeah. I'm not a believer. I, a bunch of people have been talking about how the direwolf um, devs have been playing that on in the draft queues a lot, mm-hmm. that deck. And then I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I looked. I was like, what cards have Imbue and Huru? And what cards, you know, get better if a unit is stunned in Huru? And it's like all uncommons. Not all, but some, yeah. I mean, the abuse yeah. are some are some in commons, but like most yeah. of the cards that care about units being stunned are uncommon. So it feels like it doesn't feel like there's like a a true deck there. I, I don't know. It could be. I haven't tried to draft it yet. It might be easier to to do because there is some redundancy there. They did uh they did they did make Jarl's Frost Frostkin a ten times uh the three three that stuns an opponent for four. Yeah, uh, which would obviously be an important part of that deck as well. And then your, I think your reward is that you get two, three flyers for one, for the cost of one justice. Yeah, but is that that good? I guess there's pretty fewer good. flyers in this format, but like, that's a it's, pretty good rate on a flyer. I mean, it's a pretty good rate, but it's you know, it's unlike a, like a locust, which is hitting you for. Two starting, uh, you know, starting from turn three, like you're probably not, you're not stunning anyone on turn two or probably not on turn three either. And so it's like your one cost flyers aren't really doing anything till later in the game. And then the two power is like less meaningful. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's not, it probably doesn't play as like a sheer tempo deck where you're just attacking every turn. You're just so you're kind of setting up for big turns where you stun part of your opponent's army that and and then attack with your big units and Yeah, but your units are two three flyers. That's I well, guess that's the thing that I'm having trouble. That's that's like the thing I'm having trouble with. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll see. I'll try to draft it at some point and we'll yeah. see, we'll see if I make if I can make it work. I've never tried to make it work yet. Yeah, and then, I mean, even going on to the next card that we disagreed, uh, uh, which also goes in this deck, is the Frostbite Elemental, which is the two primal 4-5. Uh, 
Elemental Frostbite Elemental can't attack or block unless there's a stunned unit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I gave it a six. You gave it a four. Uh, clearly, it says on the card that it doesn't do anything. <laughs> so that's uh, it's a and I'm and I'm uh, and it's a, it's always kind of a speculative pick to take a frostbite elemental early. Um, so maybe that's just the wrong rating. It's just sort of more how I feel about the card than when you should actually take it. But it goes so well with almost everything that Primal is doing because imbue is fairly common. Um, and then also you can give it killer and it can kill something very large. And, and it can it can use the killer ability even, even without a stunned unit, right? It can, yeah. It can use the killer ability just by itself. That doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, even though killer counts as an attack in some ways, it's not its native attack ability. So yeah, yeah. if you give this thing killer, it can, it can eat something. Um, and then it plays so well with imbue because on the one hand, if you imbue it, you're getting a 4-5 bonus at a very discounted price. Or, if you imbue something else, then you're attacking with your 4-5. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's so huge for its cost that I feel like it's a powerful card, and then you're just sort of hoping that the whole deck comes together. Uh, so okay. I, it's the most speculative rating that I've given anything here. I just know that it plays very well with uh, the themes of the set, and I think if you're in Primal you'll probably come up with some stuff that that makes it an effective card. I yeah, know. I actually hadn't really thought about it just like playing it as a on two and then imbuing on onto it. Um which kind of gets around that a problem of a lot of like synergy cards where you need to draw them in the right order. This kind of works yeah, it works. It works with imbue. No matter how many units you have on the board, it's either a massive imbue or it just gets to attack. Yeah, so I I do like that. I guess I gave it a four. I I like I want to try the card, but I guess I was like I was saying I was like looking into this Huru deck and was just like not totally feeling it. Um, and so that kind of lowered me on that. But you're sort of selling me this as selling me on the idea that this can be something outside the stun deck, too. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a thousand percent stun. You've got some other things that it does well. All right. Cool. So then um, the next primal card is Stealth Strike. Yeah. You gave this a six, and I gave this a four. This is the four primal fast spell with revenge, deal two damage to an enemy. And then shadow, 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 shadow. That's six shadows. (laughs) Um, So this was bugged for a while, right? Yeah, so we can't rate it according to that, because then it would be like a 10. Uh, (laughs) Um, I assume that's why you gave it a six. No, no, it would be better than that. Uh, It's... It was bugged so that it had deadly if you only had one shadow influence instead of the six. Yeah. Uh, which makes it essentially an it makes it essentially a death strike that can also go face for two damage and also has revenge, which is an absurd card. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but as it is, uh, I'm probably overestimating it a little bit. Uh, it it's it does four damage eventually, but not in one turn clearly. It also goes face. Uh, it's basic. Uh, I mean, it feels like a very expensive char, doesn't it? So it probably shouldn't be 
Um, yeah, we would give Chara a six, I think. Yeah, I guess we would give Chara a six, and this seems like it's worse. But Revenge, I the thing is, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm rating the Revenge stuff a little higher than maybe it deserves. But the Revenge isn't uh, irrelevant. You know, you'd eventually do get to cast this thing again. And one of the things about the Revenge spells is that they restrict what your opponent can do. Like now, once you've cast Stealth Strike, then your opponent has to deal with the fact that that's coming back, and anything that can be killed by Stealth Strike is... uh, they're going to have a hard time playing it. But it is expensive. Like, that's a thing that's true for Forget as well. Now, once you've got a, a Forget, and your opponent knows that it's going to cast for free at some point in your next 10 cards, then they have to play their units anyway, even knowing that they're going to be silenced, but there's going to be a lot of stuff in their hand that they don't want to be silenced, and so that's a problem they have to deal with. So this has the same effect to some degree. Yeah, I guess I just, like, with Forget, like, even their... You know, they don't want to... The units that they usually don't want to play are their, like, big expensive units that have, like, a, a great ability... While this is like, oh no, they have like a stealth strike in their top ten cards. I guess I shouldn't play my two drop. That's not yeah. going to affect the board any. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, yeah, it's probably it's probably closer to a four or five. I'm, I'm I think maybe I'm also rating primal cards higher because I want them to be better because I want primal <laughs> to be a playable faction. Uh, oh, why did I rate a rare card anyway? Um, but. Uh, uh, but it could just be the primal just sucks again, and and that's a shame. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I mean, I'm with you. I want, I want primal to be better too. And like we rated most of the other cards; those were the only cards we disagreed with in primal. Yeah. So, so we're we're close. So on to shadow then. So our first shadow card that we disagreed with was executioner. I think I can defend this one. You can or can't? No, I think I can. Okay. So this is the two shadow, 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 one, five, unblockable. When you play a card on the enemy player's turn, deal one damage to them, and you gain one life. Yeah. Uh, It's a one, three. You said one, five, but it's... Oh, uh, one, three. Sorry. Yeah. It would be crazy if it was a one, five. It would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit hard to... I, I gave it a 6, you gave it a 4. It's a little bit hard to summon because of the 3 shadow influence, but I do think it's a good card. A 1-3 with unblockable for 2 is pretty good, but then that sort of drain ability adds up um, over time, and I've, I've been pretty happy with it. Anything with unblockable is interesting, because then any bonuses you give it are just damage to your opponent's face. Uh, I've just played with it a couple of times, and I was I was happy with it. Like it was definitely a removal magnet. Once it was down, like my opponents were like, oh, "I got to get rid of that thing. Yeah. <laughs> that thing's gonna slowly kill me." Yeah, I guess I was thinking about this again, in, like in terms of in set five, there was that one or two drop shadow, like the one two that drained your opponent every time you played a relic. Yeah, that didn't have unblockable, though. It did not have unblockable, yeah. And that was a difference. But this also only has, you know, like, unblockable is good, but this only has one attack. Um, 
And I guess I was just a little turned off by the casting cost. And, um, you know, like the, the two costs, justice, 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 uh, imbue lady, like, because justice so easily gets to be like high justice, like it, that one doesn't feel as painful, but for some reason, like triple shadow is just like, uh, makes me like a little more unsure of this card. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I think that you don't have to summit it on turn two or three either. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's more of a card that, um, like you don't. I I mean it's if you if if especially you actually if you cast it early, it doesn't really even do all that much because it might not be able to block. Like uh, I think it's more something that you finish the game off of once you've stabilized and you just sort of peck away until your opponent's dead. It's just like, yeah, an annoying card to sit there. Yeah, I can see that. Because it does have evasion, you know? I don't know. It's uh, It has evasion, and then it gains you a little bit of life. Uh, it's not like a crazy powerful card, but it only costs two. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good for, it, for for something that costs two, even if you can't usually play it on turn two. Yeah, no, I could see this being a five or a six. Maybe I was a little, I was being a little harsh. I had to play with it before I liked it. I, I, I was looking at it as almost a blank card until I actually put it in a deck, and I was like, oh, this they really need to kill this thing, or it'll kill them. Yeah. All right, this next card I'm interested to hear about is Grave Robbery, um, which is the three shadow fast spell. Sacrifice a unit to draw a card of your choice from the enemy void. Yeah. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, huh. Yeah. You know how I... Turn Back Time ended up being good? Uh, it's like that. Where yeah, except you, you get... have less control of it, and you have to sack a unit to do it. Yeah, but like if you can sack a unit for Grizzly Contest, you can sack it for Grave Robbery. Yeah, I would rather. I guess I would rather have a grizzly contest. Uh, I think that's true too. I think that's true, but also, yeah, try playing with grave robbery sometime, and then view your opponent's entire void as your library of cards to 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 feast from, and then see how you feel about it. I actually have it in a my current deck, and. Both games, I also have two forgets. And so uh-huh. everything I wanted to play in their void sure. was already silenced. Well, that's a problem, of course. Um, and was like totally useless to me. And I was like, man, this is like. Yeah, that's a bit of anti synergy for sure. Um, but I think so it's, like, it's very what good I to did go one fetch. game is I grave robbered uh-huh. their turn back time. Yeah. To get something from an actual good card from my point. Sure, that's a reasonable play. But what I, I tend to think of it, I mean, it's okay if you need to go grab something early in the game. Um, this plays the best, I think, in in Xenon sort of decks that play on your opponent's turn, which I'm that's what the deck that you're playing right now, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's probably a little bit more of a late game card because you can wait until your opponent casts some big spell and then get their big spell and then use it, that kind of thing. 
mm-hmm. uh, more so than grabbing their best unit. But you can, I don't know, like it's I'm maybe I'm a little biased because the my my seven O Xenon deck had two grave robberies in it and they were great. <laughs> yeah, like the so better like my say... the better my opponent's deck is, the better my deck is. Now that I have these grave robberies, but you would say this is just this is worse than turn back time. No, I don't think that I would say it's worse than turn back time. Because huh. for one thing, it's fast speed, and for another thing, it scales better with what my opponent is doing. If my opponent is giving me a hard time, then my grave robbery gets better. Whereas my turn back time is fine, uh, but I think they're on par with each other. If I have the sort of deck that can afford to sacrifice a unit, if it's not the sort of deck that can afford to sacrifice a unit then yeah, turn back time is going to be better. But if I'm playing the kind of deck that can play a Grizzly Contest, then it can also play a Grave Robbery. Yeah, I guess I just think you're more likely to have... Like, you're more likely to want to get back one of your own cards than your opponent's cards. I understand... Not not with the decks that I play. My cards are always worse than my opponent's cards. (laughs) Yes. I, I understand, like, if... If your opponents are always playing legendaries, grave robbery goes up. But I That's, I feel yeah. like that variance is going to like um, equalize eventually, and no. grave robbery is going to go down. No, I've been playing all week. My opponents have better cards than I do, <laughs> except for that deck that I had with Makto and also Marizo in it. That yeah. deck I had better cards. And That's the only one. Didn't my opponent wish they had grave robbery? <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, not that great against Mokto, but because uh, <laughs> Mokto doesn't really go to the grave. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no, sure. Uh, yeah, they were their grave robbery wouldn't have been good in that situation. No, but I think my favorite my favorite thing I've done with grave robbery was get seed of creation, and I know that's not a dramatic play, but it felt very strong. It's <laughs> like I'm gonna sacrifice one of my units to get your card that draws two cards and <laughs> just like I'm just going to generate I'm just going to like draw a lot of cards all the time it just felt it just felt good I don't I can't explain it it might not have even been the best play but I did win that game <laughs> all right next um speaking of cards I'm really surprised about is uh false demise oh sure what- which is the uh, five shadow shadow revenge draw a unit from your void primal primal it gets plus one health and flying mm-hmm. okay so <laughs> you rated this a six and I rated this a three yeah I could be persuaded that it was more like a five but I do think it's a solid card and I'm kind of looking forward to these if I'm in shadow I don't maybe I don't I probably only play like two of them. Uh, maybe one in some decks, but I do. You like... said you would only play one Dark Return. How would you play two? Did of these... I say that I would only play one Dark Return? I was or what? Wrong. I was wrong about triumphant that. Return. Oh, I would play more than one Triumphant Return now. Uh, yeah. I've played with it enough where I think it's better than that. Especially if I've got a lot of cheap units. I don't know. So any, uh, I'm also rating this based on the fact that it does have revenge, um, and on the turn that it revenges. It's free, so you get to play whatever unit you get back right away. It's just a lot of value in one card. That's why it costs so much. I guess. It's like a... I mean, ignoring the Felm thing for right this second. Sure. But... (laughs) 
But a five cost draw two is like not that great of a card. Well, you do get to select what you draw, though. I know, which means you also need to have two units in your void. That's true, but you probably do by the time you have five power. <laughs> I guess, maybe. Maybe when all your units are really crappy and your opponents are only playing legendaries. Maybe you're just playing, yeah. I mean, when you're right. Well, when my, when my opponent plays, when my opponent, when my opponent plays, like, let's say a 5-5 five, five for three, I guess that this isn't a good example because, uh, at all. Let's see. I mean, hmm. There, I'm, I'm, ta- I'm thinking that there's a way to what is the card that uh, defile? You like you defile one of their cards and then you can falsemize it later. I just want to play cards that don't actually do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I want to play a lot of them. Yeah, I want to I, play play cards that prevent my opponents from doing things. And then I want to draw a bunch of cards, and then I want to mill them out. <laughs> That's all I want. Uh, no, I don't know. I mean, False Demise, you have to take a pretty big tempo hit the turn that you play it, and so sometimes you'll be in a situation where it's like, oh, I have this big card that doesn't actually do anything this turn because I don't have the power to play it and also put my unit back into play. But again, it scales pretty well in the sense that like, the later into the game you get, the better units you have in your void, and then the more value you get from this card. If yeah, it I is get... in Fell, then it's really deadly because you've given something flying. Yes, I agree. In Fell, this is like a lot more interesting to me. But I I would I think outside yes. In Fell this becomes I think a six or a seven. Um but I guess I just I just don't see it just as, like, a card. Like, I, I feel like this is a card I would maybe want one of. And sometimes I would cut as, like, a too expensive draw two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could be underestimating the sort of speed of the format. I just haven't been running into a lot of uh, tempo or aggro decks that destroy me, but I do run into a lot of decks that do unbelievable like value things and destroy me so i've been yeah. thinking more along the lines of being able to deal with that kind of thing yeah and i think if the and i'm not even saying if the yeah i think if the format ends up being mostly that just like trying to outvalue each other obviously this goes up because you are getting two units yeah um eventually but I don't know. I really just like took to heart what you said last format is like with triumphant return. You like that the most with cheap units because you could double spell and have your unit be bigger. And this takes away all of that. You like yeah, it's can't a double part. spell. It's a lot worse with cheap units. Um, and like you talked about, this scales well. It scales well in the sense that yes, you late in the game you'll probably get back a bigger unit. But it doesn't scale well because you're in the sense that you're still not going to be able to double spell late in the, you know, like the bigger the unit you get back, the less likely you are to be able to double spell because you're tacking five power to that unit. Yeah, it's a, it's it's slow for sure. Yeah. So anyway, that, that was I um, that's just kind of my feeling. I feel like this is a card that people can overestimate because you're like, oh, I'm getting two units. But, like, it's... 
I don't know. It's just, it's conditional. You need two units in your void. You don't know when the second one's coming. So you just like, you can't even like prep to like make sure you have a second unit in your void in time. And, and if you're just getting back like your two drop with the, the second trigger, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it's doing enough consistently for, for my taste. But I have not played it, so I don't really know. Okay. That was just my impression reading it. Um, all right. And then uh, next is Imprison, which is the six shadow shadow the en fast spell. The enemy player must choose and sacrifice two units, gain fire, fire, primal, primal. Yeah. So I guess another card in this cycle. I give it a five. You gave it a three. Uh, I've given it. I gave it a five here because I've seen my opponents play it against me, and it seems a lot better than it should be. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it seems so effective. Uh, maybe the only times I've seen my opponents cast it were at times when it would be devastating, and that's why it seems so good. Um, oh yeah, I I a hundred percent agree that this card is going to wreck me, but that's usually because I draw like two crappy units in all power. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> but I like. Think I think you can play in a way... I think part of why the card plays better than it reads is that if you are... is that you can uh, you can play in a way where you have to... where your opponent has to do a lot of trades so that the Imprison is better. And it just sort of... it just sort of seems to work out for the decks that play this. And I, I haven't entirely analyzed why. But, yeah, and I think the fact that this is fast speed is kind of interesting too um yeah it's one of it's it sort of plays into that like taking uh punishing people for imbuing you know because if they have like three units and one of them has been imbued and then you cast in prison like they're sacrificing their worst two units but it also makes one of their the unit with imbue shrink you know like it's it's it creates a hard situation for them it yeah. might not though because there are a lot of there are a lot of decks in this format that play sort of throwaway units that are meant to be sacrificed or they're evangels or something. And then obviously imprisoned isn't very good against those, but there are, I don't know. There's sometimes there's decks that, uh, that will, uh, sometimes there's, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to raise another point about these big spells that are situationally powerful because of the, because of plunder, you can convert big clunky things in your hand into <laughs> sigils. And so uh, it, I think playing situational cards is a little less punishing than usual because if you have them in your opening hand, you can just turn them into power. Um, that's not, I don't know how important that is, but it's, it, I, it feels like it's relevant to this format because I'm getting wrecked with these situational spells a lot. Um, and I'm realizing that people are also playing a lot of plunder cards, so they don't care that they're playing s these situational cards because they're great when they're great, and when they're not, they're sigils. <laughs> and there's never been a format before where that was true. You were always stuck with it. Now you can just transform it into a sigil. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It feels yeah, no, I agree. silly what I'm saying, but also there's some truth there. Um. Yeah, the... You know, the card that I was 
comparing this to in my head is that the six cost um, spell from the from the last format where your opponent chooses two units and sacrifices the rest. Yeah. And you know, like that card is situationally worse and situationally better than this card. Yes. Um, but that card ended up being more or less unplayable, which right. is sort of, I guess, having not played this card, where my baseline, I was working from that. Yeah. They, they do function totally differently, though, even though they have a lot of the same words, you know? Because at least you get rid of two units, whereas sometimes when you cast that other one, you didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that's why I mean, it's like, it's... Like, Imprison is obviously better if your opponent has three or fewer units. Sure, yeah. But if your opponent has four or more units, then that other card is better. Yeah, uh, it is. I mean, I don't know. I, I Like, right now I'm rating this as on uh, on how much... Like, the, the thing that I was just saying about... Uh, about being able to plunder away situational cards probably shouldn't affect the actual rating of the card. No, um, but I think it does. I think I think it's a totally valid reason to raise up expensive cards. It's like you can just think of it as like if every card in this set had pledge, like yeah, yeah, it's makes, a it's a little bit like that. Yeah, um, and that makes the expensive cards better because you're like, well, I can. <laughs> Yeah, not. and so anyway, I I, I think uh, right now I'm rating in prison very anecdotally based on on the effect that it's had on the games where I've seen it, and that doesn't take into account uh, the games where it's been in my opponent's hand unplayable. So um, that's 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 part of the factor. I could be, I could very well be off on just sort of rating it a five, which is still I'm not excited about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's, it's funny when we're, we're arguing about. <laughs> We're arguing like, this about is an how, me card. how mediocre like, no, is it? <laughs> this is definitely below average. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, I think that that ends up being all the cards. It's actually um, we agreed more than we did in the last set, so that's kind of interesting. That's true. And um, I'll post a link to our ratings if anyone wants to look through and. Agree or disagree with them. Um, I think we're going to end our show there, though. Um, so hopefully this gives everyone sort of a baseline on what to do in this format, what we're doing, what we're having success with, what we're not having success with. Um, and I think it had at least, at, least, at least a few interesting discussions about cards. So hopefully someone got something out of this. Um, but... Once again, thank you to all our patrons for helping make this show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can join us in our Discord, link in the show notes. There's a lot of people talking about the format, um, and you can post your deck lists there. And finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show. And don't forget to send in all of those aforementioned seven-win deck lists you do this week to either farmingeternal at gmail.com or the Discord. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night.